Don't you just love the Holy Ghost? I love the Holy Ghost. That's all I yearn for, church. If you wonder why Pastor Jacob just pacing around and not saying or doing anything, friend, that may be new to you, but I, can I just, I, I feel like I'm just in story mode. I might preach my sermon. We'll just find out. But I'll never, I'll never forget a moment where the first time I was in a, in a revival meeting with Dr. Rodney Howard Brown. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Dr. Rodney, but Rodney Howard Brown has been used for virtually every move of God that has happened over the last 30 years in the United States. Uh, um, and it's just amazing. And I, I, I had watched him from a distance, had never been a part of his meetings, but I remember my wife and I went to a church in Fort Worth where he was ministering, and I learned something that night. He began preaching and, 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 and all of that, but then there was a moment where he just stopped. Worship wasn't going. He wasn't doing anything. And he just began to wait on the Lord. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, people began to experience the presence of God in tremendous ways. I remember he just started pointing at people, and they would stand up. He'd just like, wave his hand, like barely nothing, like, not, like nothing. And they would just get like lightning from heaven, just hit by the power of God. And, just, and that thing went on for probably two hours that night. And I learned something in that. What was your word a few weeks ago? In the calm, you'll host my glory. In the calm. Sometimes we get fired up and we labor and, uh, you know, there's moments for that too, right? I just could give the devil a black eye. But there's moments where if you just wait on the Lord, my goodness, the way that he'll show up, what God can do in one moment, in one encounter. Friend, I could preach till I'm blue in the face for weeks on end, but sometimes one encounter from God will change everything. Are you with me today? I want you to open your Bible to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, and would you stand to your feet as we honor the reading of God's Word? James chapter 4. In verse 1, I'm reading this out of the New King James Version. We've been in a series in James, and oh my goodness, I know it's been ministering to me. Has it been a blessing to anybody else here today? I, I sure hope so. I do have the notes in the Bible app if you'd like to use that. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and this is what it says. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members or in your body? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, and yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on pleasures, adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Everybody say more grace. God is gracious. Therefore, he said, and think about who he's talking to here. What, what are some of the attributes we just read? Lust, murder, war, adultery, friendship with the world, and God's response is more grace. Chew on that for a second. But the Bible says, last verse, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray and let's ask his spirit to minister this to us today. Lord, I just thank you for your word. It's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And I ask today, almighty God, that your word would accomplish all that you desire it to in each and every one of our lives. I surrender this word to you right now and I pray for a great anointing to begin to come and to rest upon the preaching of the word. Come on, church, if you have the liberty, ask the Lord to anoint it right now. I pray for an anointing upon every person within the sound of my voice. Give us eyes that see, ears that hear, a heart that perceives what your spirit is speaking to 
today, oh God. I pray, oh Lord, that you would anoint me to preach your word under the unction, the leading, the direction of the Holy Spirit today. And I bind the works of the enemy. He who would seek to distract, to distort, to confuse, or uproot your word as it comes forward. Give us liberty today in receiving your word. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody say, Amen. You may be seated. Boy, what a what a powerful and challenging passage we're coming into. I, I do want to just kind of touch briefly on some of the ideas that we talked about last week. You might remember that, uh, or last week was was Easter, of course, but the week before that, I preached about wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. We talked about the wisdom that comes from above, this is a supernatural wisdom, a God-given wisdom, uh, very similar. I, in fact, I made the comparison to King Solomon, who prayed, God give me wisdom in leading this people. And God gave him not only wisdom for leadership, but also gave him wisdom in business, gave him wisdom to expand the kingdom, gave him wisdom in relationships, gave him wisdom uh, in the Proverbs that we still read to this day. In every area, he had tremendous wisdom. And I challenge you, just imagine, what would our lives look like if we had that same sort of wisdom flowing into us? Oh my, no limits to what God is able to do. But they also talked about, we also talked about um, how wisdom, uh, can. there's also a, a wisdom that is not from above. It said that it was worldly, that it was sensual, it was based on your feelings, that uh, is, there's even a demonic wisdom that ultimately opens the door for every evil thing. And I shared the story about this cult, about these radical people who loved the Lord, memorized his word, were radical in preaching and evangelism, and yet before the story was done, ended up in horrible financial abuse, ended up in sexual abuse, even child trafficking, on and on and on. This was something that came out of the Jesus movement that eventually evolved into the children of God, and maybe you've heard of that group, ended with suicide, murder, every evil thing. And you just wonder, how can some people who start off so right and so wrong, how can somebody like Solomon, who has the wisdom in the favor of God, he started off so well, but if anybody knows his story, he ends up going pretty sideways before the story is done. How does he end up doing that? How do they miss it? Well, You'll notice that today where our text picks up, I'm sure that even the readers of this gospel uh, or this book uh, were asking some of the same questions like how, how can we have wisdom and yet we end up so fallen, so broken? He begins this dialogue, what we read a moment ago, where do wars and fights, uh, where do these things actually come from? And he summarizes it all. I want you to hear me on this in verse 6. He summarizes, where does all this evil come from? Where do the wars and the strife and all of this difficulty, where do people lose it? They had the wisdom of God, but now they're in every evil thing. Where do they go wrong? Well, in James chapter 4 and verse 6, it says this, God resists the what? The proud. Everybody say the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Today, I want to talk about the pitfalls or the dangers of pride. I want to talk about the fruit of pride and what it will produce in us. You realize even where Satan went wrong, Satan at one time was known as Lucifer. One of the chief archangels in heaven was a leader in worship. The Bible talks about how he was actually designed and created with instruments of percussion and wind and strings built into his body. He had beauty that was second to none. He was leading in worship and yet somewhere along the road he decides a uh, this glory that is directed towards God, I ought to have a little bit of that. I mean, I'm a good worship leader. I'm a talented musician. I'm beautiful beyond compare. I think I deserve a little bit of this, uh, a little bit of this glory. 
And this is where Lucifer ends up. This is where his downfall begins. I will ascend to the most high God. I will look like him. I will be exalted. And he gives all of these I will statements. Uh, Friend, the moment that we begin to start saying I will, we better check ourselves. We might be in danger. This is where, friend, this is where even in a moment like this where I sense the Holy Ghost is moving, I will not for one instance push back on what I feel like God wants to do. I want to remain yielded. I want to remain surrendered. We're going to deal with pride. Everybody say pride. Now, there's three areas of warfare you'll notice are mentioned in this passage. I like three-point messages, and so we're going to go through this. I spent some extra time on storytelling, so I'm going to go quickly. Can you listen quickly? Okay, Jen is going to listen quickly. Are you guys going to listen quickly? All right, okay. Verse 1. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? In verse 2, it talks about lust and murder and fighting and war. So I want to just write this down if you're taking notes. Number one, pride produces war around you. You'll notice the effects. He's not talking about what's going on inside of you. He's talking about the war that happens among you. He's talking about murder and fighting and war. These are all things that happen around us. So where do these things come from? Well, again, I've already given the summary is kind of in in pride. It talks about desires that burn inside of us. But I just want to remind you, you you know that the decisions you make in this life affect more than just you. Sometimes we just think like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have my secret sin, and it's just, I mean, I'll just ask forgiveness. It's just me. It's not hurting anybody, friend. It affects everything around you, whether you recognize it or not. I, as a pastor, you realize one of the things, the areas that I feel like the Bible says that that leaders, that preachers, will go under stricter judgment. Part of the reason is not only am I bringing instruction that will guide your life, but I'm also responsible to steward the presence of God. And if I'm blowing doors of sin open in my life, friend, it can leave you vulnerable. I don't know, that's big, and that's a heavy statement, but that's why, that's why your leadership matters. That's why the type of church you go to matters. That's why, that's why you as a parent who are stewarding your home and the atmosphere of your home or your classroom or your workplace, friend, your life affects more than just you. The moment God trusts you with people, with souls, you're responsible for that atmosphere. That's a big deal. And so I would even submit to you, you want to know where I think Solomon's problems began? I've used him as kind of a case study for the last couple weeks. I believe Solomon's problems began with his daddy. You might remember that King David had a moment where he fell into temptation. He took Bathsheba. He had the husband murdered. He entered into all kinds of sin. But if you read that story from that point forward, one of his children died. One of his children died sexually assaulted another one of his children, every evil thing began to flood into that home. And you're telling me that Solomon, his son, anybody know who Solomon's mom was, by the way? Bathsheba. You're telling me that this tension didn't enter into his life, that he didn't sense this in some way, shape, or form? I'm telling you, friend, this is what I used in my book, Dealing with Darkness, to describe. It was a case study in generational curses. We can break generational curses. You can change the trajectory of your life and your family. But the first thing that we got to do is we need to acknowledge my life, my actions affect more than just me. Are you with me today? So every, you can write, I think I actually put this in your notes. Every external conflict begins with an inward desire. Every external conflict begins with an inward desire. There is something that is self-seeking. Why am I offended by what is being said? Hello? Uh, um, Okay, no. Why 
am I bothered when somebody is elevated? Why am I, why am I, uh, why am I so offended that, uh, I, I don't know, whatever it is. You, you guys fill in the blank. We all have these moments where we take things personally. Why? What is in this strife? You know, I, I have these moments all the time. I had, I had one this last week where somebody came, and they had an accusation towards the leadership of the church. And the very first thing I did, I didn't try and just diminish it like, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. This guy doesn't even go to our church. This guy, no. I, I didn't do any of that. Instead, I turned to my staff and I turned to my spouse and say, do you guys see any of those characteristics in me? I took a moment to humble myself and say, guys, is this true about me? And they assured me that it, that it wasn't, but I, I've had these moments about two years ago, oh, man, I had somebody, nobody connected with this church, so don't start looking around trying to figure out who he's talking about. But somebody essentially called me a liar, told me I'm not a man of my word. And this guy doesn't even know me. I'd had like one encounter with him before this. Again, he's not a part of our church and uh, uh, calls me a liar. And, uh, and I held my tongue. I did not respond, even though everything in me, there was something that, that wanted to rise up and like, bro, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm a man of integrity. I don't lie. I don't know. You know, I wanted to spew off and defend myself. But I didn't. Why? Because God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And if my response, and even if there's an offense in my heart, what is that? What is that? Am I, am I worried about the way that he or others are seeing me? Is it the perceived perspective? I deserve better than this? I deserve honor? What is that? It's pride. So I began to look at this. I'll never forget. I was barely walking away from that. And this, this is about a week or two later. And there was a text message that came to me from this person about me. They accidentally sent me a message complaining about me. I'll just tell you, the Bible says your sin will find you out, friend. Your sin will find you out. And so you know what I did in that moment? You know what I did? I went directly to that person, and I repented to them. I apologized to them. If I have said or done anything that made you feel that I'm untrustworthy, if I have said or done anything that came across as arrogant, or I didn't ask him to repent to me for the way he'd talk to me. No, I went and I repented to him, and I expected nothing. You, you guys, I wish you could see. Nobody was there, but I wish you could have seen the way. It was like that situation was diffused, the shock that was in his face. And then you know what he does? He takes a step forward and he hugs me and thanks me. Now, why? Why would I do that? Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I'm trying to create peace. I'm trying to create unity. I'm trying to create an atmosphere for the glory of God in and around. And if I'm walking in pride, friend, it'll blow the whole thing. We need to remember this. What is your sphere of influence? Pride will produce war all around us. Now, the second thing, I want you to write this down. Pride produces war in you. In you. I'm just preaching this in the order that, that James has it. So if, you're, if you feel like, well, doesn't it all begin there? Yeah, it really does. But I'm, I'm just going along with the text. James 4 and verse 3 says, uh, I'm sorry, uh, verse 1 says, uh, where do wars and fights come from? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members. Everybody say war. Where is the war? It says in your members. That's talking about a personal battle. Your pride, if unchecked, will affect people around you. But I'm telling you where this battle is going to be won, we have to deal with it within our own hearts. We got to deal with it on a personal level. It's not something you can blame on somebody else, but we, we war with this thing in our members. Another translation says it wars in your flesh. Everybody say flesh. I need you to hear me on this. I'm going to tell you what we're not going to do in a moment. 
I am not going to call for anybody who feels like they have pride and we're going to break the spirit of pride off of you. We're not going to do that. You say, why? I've done a lot of study in the realm of spiritual warfare. It's where I began my ministry was actually in deliverance and casting out devils, and we're still doing that to this very day. I have looked at every named spirit in the Bible. That's why even when I'm praying at times for sickness, I'll bind a spirit of infirmity. There are sicknesses at times attached to demonic attacks on individuals' lives. I'll bind a spirit of heaviness because the Bible talks about that. I will talk about a, a spirit of fear and we'll take authority over that thing and pray that God releases power, love, and sound mind. I'm all about this. But here's, I want you to hear me on this. The Bible never talks about a spirit of pride. Pride is not a spirit. Pride is something that wars in your flesh. And hear me, you do not cast out flesh. You crucify flesh. This is something that you deal with on your own. You don't, I can't blame the devil for my pride. No, the Bible says I humble myself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift me up. It's not I break the power of the devil and then I'm, now I'm humble. No, no, no. It's something I keep in check in my life, all my life. And some of you may think, well, pastor, I went through a season where God dealt with my pride. Praise God. You're going to do it again. We're all going to do it. I have this thought even today. You know, one of, the, one of the things I was so thankful for is the Lord instructed us when we began this church, don't advertise. You realize that we've never done paid advertising for this church yet. Never. And I thought, like, I'm posturing myself in a position where it's like, God, you're going to be the one who promotes this. You're going to be the one to receive all glory. But I had a moment where it's like, you know, I'm kind of proud that we've never paid for advertising. Kind of proud that, uh, that, that we've never had to, had to put it out there. I like telling people, guys, we've never paid for advertising. And all of a sudden... Oh, no. What was a point of humility, and now I'm having to check pride again. Are you hearing me? This is something that wars on the inside. So I don't want you thinking about, oh, I sure hope my arrogant husband is listening to this right now. I, I sure hope that my proud son is listening to this right now. No, 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 no. You look inwardly, and you begin to examine, do I have pride that's warring in my members today? You may have crucified that thing yesterday, but what about today? What about the, the person who cusses you out because you sat too long at the stoplight? I'm telling you, I deserve better than that. Why? Why? Who do you think you are? Oh, friend, we, we got to keep this thing in check. We got to keep this thing in check. The Bible says, uh, I, I wrote this down. You can, you can take note of this. Uh, uh, true joy, peace, happiness, meaning, hope, fulfillment. These things come from God. True happiness, joy, peace, meaning, hope, fulfillment. These things all come from God. These are all things that we desire. I want somebody to recognize me. I want somebody to appreciate me. I want the position. I want the salary. I want the medal. I want whatever it may be. We all have those moments, but I'm telling you, friend, I, I'm speaking as someone who has preached in house churches and preached in crusades for 60,000. The size of your platform will not fulfill you. The salary, I have, I have had moments where, guys, I mean, people have literally handed us $10,000 in cash for me. Not for the ministry, for me. I've had moments where it's like, Leah, we're going shopping. Where do you want to go? But I've also had moments where I'm installing soap dispensers, working for janitors in schools. And I, I'm just telling you, what you have in your bank account, what title you have, the size of your platform or ministry, if you are not rooted and grounded in the Lord, you're going to be miserable, friend. You're going to be miserable. The Bible says, Psalm 37 in verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. 
delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I want you to think about how this, this is contrasting what James had said. He said that wars, disputes, and fights, they come from desire for pleasure that wars in your member. There's something that's inside our flesh that is crying out, desires in our flesh. But the Bible says as we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will also give us desires. I need you to understand, God has created us with desires. God has created us to have desires. I prayed it earlier today, 1 Corinthians 14.1. Eagerly pursue love and eagerly desire. Everyone say desire. Desire spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. This has become a life message to me because it blew my mind when I first saw it. That word desire does anybody ever pay attention to this? What's the Greek word there? Nobody knows. Okay, I heard somebody whisper it. Zeluo. Everybody say Zeluo. That's what you were saying, wasn't it? Yeah. I'm going to give him the. <laughs> we, um, Zeluo. You know, here's what's amazing about that Greek word. That means to desire, to desire spiritual gifts. But what's wild about that little Greek word is that every time it is used in the Bible, other than 1 Corinthians 14.1, it's used to describe sin. It's used to describe lust, envy, and ungodly desire. It's crazy. So I think it's eight other times it's used to describe sinful desires. One time it's used to describe desire, the gifts of the Spirit. And you know what this tells me? Even James, the Bible, we, we read this verse just a moment ago. It says that, uh, um, that God gave us, the Scripture says, that the Spirit in us yearns jealously. There is something in us. There is a desire. And friend, let me, let me just, I'll try and make this as simple as I can. God has created you to have desires. You don't need to stop your desires. What you need to be mindful of is where are you focusing your desires. What I used to daydream in the area of envy or jealousy or lust, I haven't killed my desire. I've redirected it. Now my desire is fo focused towards Lord, I'm hungry for you, and I'm hungry for your gifts, and I'm hungry for intimacy, and I'm hungry for the things of God. My desire's still there. I've just redirected it. Are you trekking with me so far? This is very important. God has created us for desire. What you need to do is you need to crucify your flesh so it's not my ungodly desires. It's not my selfish, my self-seeking desires, but I'm delighting myself in the Lord. And he gives me the desires of my heart. I delight myself in the Lord. And he gives me desires. I need you to hear that correctly. That does not mean that God's just going to give you everything that you selfishly desire. When your flesh is crucified and your delight is in the Lord, all of a sudden, you begin to desire what God desires. He gives you desires. It's not that he's giving you every selfish thing that you want. No, he's giving you desires. He's planting things in your heart. I never used to like people, much less love people or want to shepherd people. Where did that come from? I delight in the Lord, and he says, I love people, and I want you to love people. And I say, yes, Lord. Are you hearing me today? It is, it is contrary to my, I am an introvert. Some of you, you hear me shouting and hollering and sweating and running around here in the church. You would not believe I would be just fine living in a little cabin in the woods by myself for the rest of my life. I'd be okay. I would be okay with that. But that's not what the Lord would have me do. And I delight in him. So I resist those ungodly desires. I crucify those desires, and I allow the Lord to minister because God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. You don't want to be resisted by the Lord. 
That's a scary thought, man, if you think about it. It's not just God looking like, "Ah, I just really wish you'd be humble. No, there's an active pushback, an active resistance. Friend, if you're ever frustrated in life or in ministry, one of the first things you ought to check is, is the Lord pushing back on my life because I'm a little big in the head? Is the Lord pushing back on my life because I've got pride in me? All right, this isn't going over well, so I'm going to go on to the last part, so... So pride produces war where? First, around us, right? So number two, pride will produce war where? Inside of us, that's in our members. But then uh, look at verse 4. Oh, my. Oh, this isn't going to get easier just yet, but it will before the day's done. Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Guys, the third area that pride will produce war is, is it will produce war with God. It's enmity with God. That word enmity means hostility, it means resistance, and it means war. Friend, you do not want to be at war with God. You do not want to be. And by the way, let me just submit to you, you, before you start thinking, oh, those poor heathens, they're at war with God. No, this is a letter to the church. This is a letter to the people of God. This is a letter that is written to me and to you. And if we allow pride to reign in our hearts, friend, it's going to create tension and turmoil all around us. We're going to have a constant warring inside of us. I'm miserable because I'm not whatever. But we're going to have a resistance against God. And that's a scary thing. Now, it's crazy. Verse 4, I mean, this is heavy language, adulterers and adulteresses. You'll notice that, man, I don't know of many people that have a spouse cheating on them who remained in friendly terms while that's actively going on. And I just want you to recognize this is the comparison that God is making when we allow our affections to go anywhere outside of him. God feels like he is a lover who is being betrayed. He feels like he is a lover who is not receiving the affection that he is due. And you'll see this repeatedly throughout Scripture. In 2 Chronicles 21, the entire chapter is dealing with this idea. In Jeremiah 3, 1, uh, chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 9, on and on and on, Jeremiah uses this language describing how God feels like he's being cheated on. In Ezekiel 16, it's a whole poetic passage about the love and affection that he has showered on his his people. He, He refers to as his daughter. I picked you up when you were cast out. You were naked in the field, but I picked you up. I cleaned you. I clothed you. I raised you. And now you go and you commit adultery on me. He's talking about their heart and their affection, their love that is going towards others. The spirit, the Bible says, yearns, yearns jealously. I want you to think about this, friend. Do you realize that God is jealous for your love? God yearns for all of your affection. Think about your marriage, friend. My wife would not be satisfied if I am mostly in love with her, but I have a little affection for some other lady. Even a little bit, it would not matter. I'm all hers, all the way. And she's right to yearn jealously for that. But I'm telling you, when we either put ourselves on a pedestal, I'm God and I deserve this name. Or we go to other lovers, other gods, other passions, the Lord is saying, I loved you and I gave myself to you. I've come into covenant relationship with you. And I deserve all of your love. I deserve all of your affection. I deserve all of you, not most of you. I yearn jealously. And, and you know, commentators, this is an interesting passage because it, you'll, you'll notice that it says that the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. And if you read that in your own Bible, you'll notice that about half the translations have that S capitalized meaning it's talking about the Spirit of God that's yearning for us. But you'll notice that half the translations do not have it capitalized. 
meaning it's talking about the spirit of a man. And the reason commentators go back and forth, well, is it talking about God yearns jealously, or is it talking about we yearn jealously? The reason that commentators haven't come to a solid stance on this is because both of those things are true. God put it in you to hunger and to yearn to have desires. And God's saying, I I don't want it to be lust and murder and and strive and envy and self-seeking. I want it to be me. But God also yearns for you. He hungers for you. He longs for you. I want you to think about that. I can compel you every single Sunday, every single Thursday, every day of my life. Come to Jesus, and I want that so badly for you. He wants it so much more. He wants it so much more. Even the hunger that you have for God, he hungers for you so much more. I want you to stand all across this room, and we're going we're gonna to pray. We're going to ask the Lord to help us. If I could, minister, would you just come on the piano? and we're... Holy Spirit, I ask you to help us today. Lord, I recognize that pride, that self-seeking and self-importance is something that, Lord, we need to keep in check every day of our lives. And it's not going to end. The Apostle Paul said, I die daily. It's a daily decision. Daily, take up your cross. Deny yourself and follow him. Daily, daily. God, I know We've had many moments of repentance and committing to you. But today, once again, we say, God, all that I am and all that I desire, my delight, my affection, my love is for you. It's for you. With every head bowed and everyone praying, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, the Lord is highlighting areas of my life where I need to humble myself. I've been self-seeking, been jealous, I've been envious. I've stirred up strife. I've been offended. And I recognize it's because of this internal war inside of me. Maybe you even feel like God at times is pushing back. Feel like a hindrance and a weight. And maybe you've been inclined to think that that's a devil trying to slow you down. But today you realize, man, maybe God is not allowing things to move forward because I need to keep my pride in check. Lord, your word says, you give more grace if we would but humble ourselves you're gracious you're gracious you give grace to the humble I I don't know a better way to do this church I, I, I could have you raise your hand I could have you do it privately I could have you you know, just just between you and Jesus. But part of humility, friend, is that we do this in a way that others see and recognize. And if you're here today and you're you're asking, God, I, I, I want to remain humble. I want to remain humble before you. And you sense that maybe God has put his finger on in here. I'm telling you, I have this today. This whole never advertising or promoting thing God just highlighted. That's pride. And I had to keep it in check today. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I want to remain humble. And I want to remain in the grace of God. If that's you today, 
I'm not going to count to three. I'm not going to twist your arm. But if you're saying today, I'm committing to remain humbled before the Lord, and today I'm humbling myself before the Lord, I want you to begin to step out from your seat right now, and I want you to begin to kneel at this altar right now. As a sign of surrender, as a sign of humility, as a sign of submission, if you're physically able to kneel at this altar, I want you to. If you're not physically able, that's fine. And before I pray for us, before I pray for us today, I want you to just begin to talk to Jesus right now. Come on, what are the areas that he's putting his finger on in your life? What are the areas that he's pointing out? I need you to stay humble in this. This isn't about you. It's about me. This isn't about your title, your name, your prestige. It's about me. This isn't your glory. It's mine. Maybe your affections have wandered to other lovers, and today you're saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm not giving you 80%, 90 99%. No, all of my affection, all of my love, 100% is for you. It's not for another lover, another passion, another desire. Come on, just begin to talk to Jesus right now. Begin to talk to the Lord right now. All across this room. Oh, Lord. Oh, God. Oh, God, I pray. Reveal, oh, Lord, even blind spots in our lives where we've been self-righteous. And, God, show us where we need to surrender our lives to you afresh and anew. Oh, God, even today, Lord, I humble myself before you. And you see, every person who is knelt here in this altar, those who are able, Lord Jesus, and even those who are watching online or maybe physically cannot, but, Lord, we say today, I humble myself before you. And you give more grace, oh God. You give more grace, oh God. Oh, you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And so, Lord, we receive your grace today. Oh, your embrace, your love, your, your, your moving, your restoring, oh God. We lay down, we crucify our flesh. It will not direct our lives. We will not be ruled by our passion. We will not be ruled by our desires. But we're surrendered to you, oh God. Oh, Jesus, do a deep work in us. Put your finger on areas, oh God, that you say, I want you to surrender this to me. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us, Jesus, to live for your glory and not our own. God is a church. May we always be about your glory and not our own. Oh, Lord. You've called many in this place to great platforms of ministry. You're going to trust us with a lot. But may we always walk with the awareness that it's for you and it's for your glory. Not our own. It's not our platform. It's not our name. It's not about our fame. But it's about you and making you known. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. We surrender all that we are. We surrender all that we are to you, Lord. Surrender all that we are to you, Jesus. Oh, Lord. Come on, can I just lead us in a declaration right now? If you're able, I want you to pray this out loud with me. Heavenly Father, I surrender all that I am to you. Thank you for speaking to me about my pride. I surrender all that I am to you. I believe your word. When you said, I am crucified with Christ. Today, once again, I crucify my flesh. I declare I'm unified with you, Jesus. 
I am dead to myself, and I'm alive to you. Show me areas of my life that I need to surrender to you. Holy Spirit, surround me, fill me, lead me, and direct me. Help me live a life that honors you and brings you glory. I pray when people see me, my relationships, my work, my ministry, that they see you. That they don't boast in me, but their heart turns to you. Jesus, encounter people through my life. I will be salt in the earth. I'll be light in darkness. I'll do what you ask me to do. Not my life, but yours. Help me, Jesus. Yeah, now just, just let Holy Spirit come. Come on, those waves of love that were, that were here earlier today. It's here now. The Lord condemns no man today. He's washing. He's renewing. He's restoring. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Church, I, I want you to I want you to look around to your right and to your left right now. You want to know what revival church looks like? It's a church that's surrendered. It's a church that's humbled before the Lord. I, I really believe this is this is this is the key right here. A people who are surrendered. I really believe that Kings Kona, we're going to reach into the thousands, you guys. And it's not going to be so that our name can be the biggest church on this island. It's, it's not going to be because Pastor Jacob or Minister Rylin or whoever God raises up is somebody. But God is going to raise up this house to be a hub of revival, a sending center, a place of His glory, that when people come within the realm of this ministry, they can experience and encounter God. That's what this is about. I want it to be so hard for people to go to hell from this island. I want it to be so hard for people to go to hell. It's not going to be because people haven't heard or had the opportunity. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but my knees hurt when I'm on my... Do you need to stand up? Come on, maybe you need to help somebody else up. Hallelujah. In a moment, I'm going to speak a blessing over us. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip that today. This is what I want us to do. Before you, before you wander off too far, hey, just, just pause right where you're at. I'm going to ask you, Can I give you a key to the anointing? You want to know how you're going to begin to see miracles flow? I used to think, man, if I can shout loud enough, ugh, then uh, that sickness, I don't know what I thought, but I just, but I watched these old revival meetings and I was, I was listening to, again, Rodney Howard Brown. Miracles were breaking out in this meeting. I mean, it was crazy, you guys. 
And then he just starts saying this repeatedly. It's in yielding. It's in yielding. It's in yielding. The key to the anointing, it's in yielding to the Holy Spirit. It's allowing him to flow through you. It's not you. It's not your gift. It's not your anointing. It's his. It's his. And God's going to use us. And this is what I want to do. We did this earlier in the service, but we're going to pray one for another right now. And God is going to minister through you a surrendered vessel to the Lord. Because it's not about you. It's about him. I want you to partner with somebody nearby you, maybe two or three, and you're going to pray a mighty anointing upon that person's life, that God is going to use them for His glory in His name. Come on. I want you to right now all across this room, no matter where you are, you find somebody and you pray. You pray one for another right now. Lord, I declare over your people, they will be all that you called them to be. They will be a vessel for your glory and for your honor, Jesus. You're going to raise them up, almighty God, not because they're somebody, but because you're somebody. And as we surrender our lives to you, oh God, you will elevate us. You will use us, oh Jesus. And so I'm asking God all across this room, oh, may your glory be felt. May your presence and power move in us, through us, and amongst us, almighty God. Oh, Jesus, I pray, use us for your glory. Use us for your namesake. As we yield our lives, as we surrender all that we are to you, oh, God, you will use us. You will raise us up. We will see miracle signs and wonders. Oh, God, you're going to do tremendous things as we surrender to you. Oh, God, I bless this people. I bless them. I bless them. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen, I'm going to let you continue to pray. If you'd like to have a few moments, you can continue.